This is a GRDC podcast. Imagine having a three-dimensional prediction of your farm's soil properties and needing to take far fewer core samples than grid-based sampling. Hello, I'm Tony Crowley. At the 2020 Grains Research Update at Gundawindi, digital soil mapping specialist Ed Jones from the University of Sydney gave a presentation on mapping soil properties and their impact on yield. It's what in the near future will become the way growers and their advisors calculate what management a paddock or section of a paddock needs to increase crop yield and maximise grower profit. The technique uses data from multiple sources, applies machine learning and delivers recommendations in weeks that until recently took decades to record, digest, trial and apply. Here's Ed Jones. So the aim of the project was really to identify or to map the soil spatially and then identify which soil properties were driving yield variation and pinpointing options we can do to either ameliorate those um, constraints that were present or at least if we're not able to ameliorate those constraints we've identified where they are in the paddock and know that we can't change them so that um, a farm manager can focus his efforts elsewhere. So we're talking about digital soil mapping so what has changed from a technology point of view that's uh, allowed you to go to this place? So digital soil mapping's developed uh, very rapidly over the last 20 years. There's been huge improvements both in, so before we make our maps, we need to collect covariates. These are things such as elevation maps, EM surveys, which people are, would be familiar with, gamma radiometrics, uh, satellite imagery. Over the last 20 years, they've just be, become a lot cheaper and more widely available. And uh, in terms of GPS technology, much more accurate, which has allowed us to I guess, revisit digital soil mapping in this space. So are you using the data from these covariants such as the uh, electromagnetic soil mapping or are you having to repeat that as well? We're using uh, the data from those maps. Uh, We use them initially to select the sites that we're going to investigate. And then once we've investigated those sites, we use that layer of maps there to map in between the sites that we investigate, to interpolate between those spaces so that we can map continuously across the entire farm. There were some graphics that you had up on screen as part of the PowerPoint presentation. Can you give me a a sort of mental picture of what the people at the update were actually seeing? Using this technique, we produce a, a massive amount of information, which is very interesting, very useful to us, but the end result that we want to get to, and that was in the final slide that I showed with just those three maps, where on that farm we were able to pinpoint which areas were affected by um, a sodicity, which areas were affected by salinity, and which areas were affected by uh, waterlogging. And each pixel in that map represents a 20 by 20 square metre area. In those maps we were able to show their exact yield cost how those constraints were influencing the yield and that provides a lot of information that a farmer can use I guess then to decide is it is the yield loss that we're having there at a stage that it's worth us considering amelioration or are we just going to live with um, the yield loss that we're seeing. So in the presentation you talked about three sampling sites in particular and one was uh, Cubby Station which is a couple of hundred kilometres plus um, west of Gundawindi 
but also a location in the hills between Narromine and Dubbo, and then there was a third location down in the MIA. But let's talk about Cubby first. Um, how many sampling sites were you looking at there? Uh, Cubby was our first uh, farm that we uh, did the digital soil mapping on. We did 2,000 hectares there, and that required 70 sampling sites. And in particular, what were you looking at at that location? We were looking at a range of properties, everything from our soil texture, pH, salinity, sedicity, just anything, any soil property that we thought could affect the yield. You broke that down visually with your um, PowerPoint presentation and you had um, three blocks of information for pH, for sedicity and for salinity. What were you finding in each of those? Yeah, that was a great way to represent the uh, yield loss that was in being incurred for each one of those constraints. So we found with that for salinity, well, for the, the area that we investigated, there was really not much variation with the topsoil. Uh, and the farm managers knew that. They were questioning why we were interested in studying that area. But what we found that at depth, once we got down to 50 uh, centimetres down to uh, a metre 50, there was a lot of variation there. For salinity, the good news was that it was um, not much present. There was only one small patch that we identified where the yield could be affected. And well, that's good news because it's a lot harder to ameliorate salinity. So, But the, the information we provided is still useful. We know why the yield is uh, depressed in that area, but, and knowing that, you can't change that uh, soil property allows the, the farm managers to concentrate on the other properties that they can change, such as sodicity, which we did find um, some issues with sodicity. That's not uncommon for basically all of the, the cotton growing floodplain soils all have issues with sodicity at depth. What we're able to show there in that um, figure that you're describing though is for that entire farm, which areas were most affected by the sodicity and what the yield cost was for that. So we're not saying that Cubby's going to go to a, a variable rate application or anything like that, but we identified some patches, some particular paddocks that were having a, a larger yield loss from this sodicity issue. So if they were interested in doing, say, a tactical application of gypsum to try to ameliorate that, that would be the first area to try. And then a couple of years after you can see are we getting a yield benefit from that gypsum and then think about doing it in in the other areas as well. I suppose there's a little bit of background to help sort of fill out the picture. Um, Cubby Station is is a well-known cotton producing property. Um, they use irrigation and also dry land farming but how did the managers take those results? Were they surprised at all? They were a bit sceptical at, at the start, as I said, they were saying that the, the soil was quite uniform and our results indicate that yes, the top soil was quite uniform, but uh, the farm managers also were very helpful with us in terms of collecting the data and they could see as they were going around collecting the data that yes, the soil was quite variable at depth and once they once we're able to visualise that, I think a lot of the patterns that they see continually in their, their yield map year after year after year, we're able to explain those in terms of the underlying soil properties. And I think that's just going to help them make better agronomic decisions in the future. What else were you able to, to map on the property that sort of um, was 
perhaps an unexpected result, such as uh, irrigation channels and that sort of thing? How did they show up? Uh, one thing that was very interesting for me, because we weren't planning on doing this when we started the project, was mapping areas where the water was ponding. We were able to achieve that with our high resolution elevation data. And if, if you can imagine when you're going down an irrigation furrow, the elevation should be dropping, dropping, dropping. Sometimes we're finding that the, the elevation would pick back up again. And that creates an area where the water would pool. After mapping this spatially, we could um, then identify which areas there where the ponding was occurring was also causing a yield loss. And as I said before, as each area is the representation of a 20 by 20 square meter pixel, we're able to quantify the yield loss in each one of those 20 by 20 square meter pixels. The, the farm managers are then able to get an idea for the whole paddock, what the yield loss from the ponding is for that particular year. And then they can do the calculation they know how much it's going to cost to uh, re-level versus the cost that they're incurring in terms of yield year after year. So they can make the calculation, uh, yeah, whether it is worth investing in the re-leveling or not. Were you able to give them um, an indication uh, through modelling of, of just sort of what yield gains they might have been able to achieve by? remediating some of these problems. The great thing about this approach is that because we collect so much information about the soil variability of different constraints of the um, uh, ponding as well, we're able to pinpoint each area in the paddock where that particular constraint is having a negative effect on yield. And we can do that for each point in the paddock and then the product of that is you end up with an entire map of your farm indicating which areas the yield is being uh, you're incurring a yield loss for each particular soil constraint. Apart from Cubby, um, there were the other two sort of major locations that you were looking at. And tell us about the um, uh, what you were finding and, and the recommendations you were making after um, sampling those hilly soils between Narromine and Dubbo. After Cubby, we were quite excited with the results, but of course we have to test the, the system that we're using in different areas, different um, agricultural enterprises, different soils. They're looking to answer different questions as well though, so the analysis does have to change a bit. The, the example we gave of um, 900 hectares in the hills between Narromine and Dubbo, that was from a grazier who was finding that grazing naturalised pastures and um, was consistently unprofitable. And he was looking to map just what he could do to improve his pastures and where was the best location to grow some fodder crops or put down say lucerne or oats where was the best location to do that using this approach so it was a, a much lower level of um, intensification occurring there but using this approach we we're able to map the acidic hills that were acidic to depth sandy acidic to depth the cost involved in ameliorating those soils would be way too high so we're able to suggest in those areas just grow tolerant crops uh, tolerant pasture species. As well as that, we we're able to pinpoint um, sandy or uh, slope areas that would, we believe, get a good um, yield response from applications of gypsum. And we we're also able to recommend which gypsum applications you need in certain areas. And then finally, for the cropping that they were looking to do, we we're able to pinpoint um, a particular area in the farm that was going to be. If they were interested in growing these fodder crops, that was the best area to do it.
So the outcome of these recommendations will be to turn what has been unprofitable pastures into more profitable pastures. As productive as it can be, driven by the soil that's there. So what we really want to do is map the soil. Uh, we know what it's going to be good for. We know what it's not going to be good for. And the, I guess the, the end game here is just to maximise profitability for that bit of soil to get the maximum production that you can and not try to, I guess, within the soil's own inherent limitations. So the third site was the um, MIA, Irrigated Cropping Country down in the MIA, 700 hectares. And what were you looking at uh, in terms of farm use and, and your digital mapping and uh, the results you were seeing? Yeah, so the motivation for this work didn't come from within the university, but rather from the industry, from Pat Holm, who's a, a soil consultant working from basically the Victorian border all the way up to the tropical north. And luckily enough, he's also my uncle. So that's how we got the, the university connection there. So the farm in the MIA, that gave us an example of a, a mixed cropping irrigation farm, also with a pasture phase in the rotation. Uh, that's particularly special to me because that's the farm I grew up on for the first two years of my life and that um, Pat has now taken over. For us, the results showed us some things that we already knew about the soil, but then some things that we didn't know about the soil, in particular areas that were going to get a good response from the application of lime. But what we really found out there was that using the mapping technique, we're able to work out crop suitability. This area had a range of textures. Some were suitable for uh, rice paddies, some were suitable for row cropping, some were suitable for uh, winter cropping, some were suitable just for pasture. After 40 years of trial and error, we'd already worked that out. But the great thing about this um, method is that we can get to that same result just within six weeks. Is there still the need for ground truthing after you've done the digital work? And it was one of the questions that was raised by the audience at the end of your presentation. You know. So is taking uh, soil core samples still necessary? The short answer is yes. So we rely on gathering all of these covariate maps, including elevation and uh, satellite imagery. But the most important one still is the EM survey. That's the only device that's actually able to look deeper into the soil, up to three metres in our example. Often you, from the soil surface, you won't see much variability, but a lot of that variability exists uh, at deeper layers and that can heavily affect the um, crop growth and development. For us at the moment, so an EM survey can tell you a lot about soil variability. It can tell you where soils are varying, where soils are different, but it can't tell you how the soils are different. That's because the EM survey is affected not only by um, soil properties such as clay content, salinity, it's also affected by moisture content. So it does still require ground truthing in the form of taking soil cores. And then the data that we get from those soil cores, we then call back the EM survey and our other input maps to, to interpolate between those observations of the soil cores to map over the entire area. At the moment, I'm currently working on another GRDC-funded program that's involved at assessing um, new soil sensors, such as uh, NIR spectroscopy, XRF as well. What we're looking at there is, can we avoid the step of sending the sample to the lab? Can we use these sensors to work out our soil properties just directly in the field? Can we make a map directly in the field? 
So hopefully one day we can um, either not send a sample to a lab or send fewer samples to the lab, but we still need to do the ground truth thing, whether, whether that's by sending the samples to the lab or using these sensors. So in the end, the take home messages might be? I think we had three main take home messages from this study. The first being that digital soil mapping did provide useful information at the farm scale when we did that. Secondly, we were able to show that the variation in these soil properties was related to the variation in the yield that we were seeing and we were able to map which particular area was affected by which soil constraint across the whole farm, which we were all very excited about. And the third take home message is, yes, you do still need to take uh, soil cores and send them to the lab for the time being. Ed Jones from the University of Sydney, who gave everyone at the Gundawindi Update a taste of the future, showing how in six weeks digital technology could define the best use of farmland, a management decision landholders can take years, even decades, to reach when left to themselves to work out. Amazing stuff. For more information about this and other presentations, search Update Papers on GRDC's website. I'm Tony Crowley. Thanks for listening.